0: while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, reveal to us more through your word, the light of Christ, the ways in which we should walk in him and the power of the Holy Spirit at work in and through us towards one another and out, of, out to the world all around us. Do so for the sake of your glory and to the glory of your Son's name. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Okay, so 2021's over. How many of you feel like just going, whew, right? That was a year. That was a year. We thought 2020 was going to be a year, and then there's 2021, and it was tumultuous. It was tumultuous politically. It was tumultuous um, globally. It was tumultuous locally. Uh, there were people that uh, all of a sudden found out they couldn't keep their jobs or place, places you couldn't go. There was health issues. There was, uh, it, was, it was crazy. It was crazy. And it was crazy in a tumultuous year for individuals, for families and churches, and for this world in general. And God blessed our congregation immensely during that time. God blessed these families around here during this time in, in wonderful ways looking back now at all the things that we went through many of you many of the families went through it is it is a time to give great thanks for all that god sustained us through took us through gave us and built in us through this last year these were both trying times and they're also and they remain times of great opportunity what i usually do in the in the first of the year is give a state of the church sermon sometimes we look globally last year i think we looked globally at the state of the church this Sunday I would like to look particularly at what God has done and is doing in this church, in this local body. And I want to use the, the uh, words, this, this uh, exhortation that Paul gives at the end of Galatians as, as kind of a needle and thread to, to weave together through a lot of maybe what might feel like random thoughts, but really tying together where we are to encourage and exhort us both as a congregation in a number of ways. Because as the opportunities are among us, there, there comes with it a call of responsibility to you, the members of this local body, to rise up and be a part of what God is doing uh, in, in, in our midst. And he is doing many, many wonderful things in our midst. There are real threats to the gospel in our day all around. There have been real threats to, uh, to the church um, throughout, throughout this time as well. And there's, but there's reason um, to be hopeful at the same time that we live in a day where people sense the need for something transcendent and solid more than ever they, they might have felt in their lifetimes. Conversations, Ability to have conversations about eternal things are easier to do this this last year because of the, the events going on around us. In the midst of it, Trinity Church has been blessed with many answers to prayer and opportunities to share the distinctive gifts of our church with others. Sometimes we've, we've been privileged to see some come to faith. We have seen some uh, come to a, a stronger and more mature faith as they have come and, and, and placed themselves in the midst of this body wanting to join in with the things, the gifts that God has given that that makes the, the distinctives of Trinity Church. There are many stories of faithful generosity of time, talents, and treasures that come from you all to others in this body. And as we have been a church that met to worship, we became a refuge to many who often felt they had nowhere else to go. Paul's exhortation to the churches of Galatia is very applicable, then, to us this year. For I believe that we are positioned to take this, um, this situation, really, to the next level, to do good more and more, as Paul says as he encourages the church at Thessalonica. So again, this, these two verses, Paul's writing to a, a real church, or probably a, a number of churches in the Galatia region that he had visited before. As he's writing to them, he's writing to correct uh, some false teaching, terrible false teaching, about having to now uh, kind of work out their salvation with a bunch of works. You were saved by grace and by, by the work of the Spirit, but now it's all up to you. you got to just gut it out by your own um, works. You need to go back to the ceremonial laws. You need to go back to, uh, to kind of a Judaistic version of Christianity, and it's all work, work, work from here. And he's saying um, that's going to destroy you. Walk by the Spirit, chapter 5. Walk by the Spirit and you'll put to death the deeds of the flesh. You're not going to do this outside of the work of the Holy Spirit and his fruit. But he does say it's not like you just sit back and do nothing. And so at the end of of that epistle, he turns in in chapter 6, and he gives some specific exhortations, but they're very general. They're not the, the, the applications aren't specific, the, uh, the exhortation is, but the application can go in all kinds of directions, and I think he does that on purpose. <clears throat> he says, let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. And then he addresses, the opportunity exists to do good to all around you, but especially you need to make sure that you're doing good to those of the household of faith. For any of a number of reasons, the household of faith, those in the household of faith, need to be built up first by the members of the congregations. The reason Paul had to give this command, why does does Paul have to give a command to not grow weary in doing good? Why would the Lord have to give you an encouragement and a command not to grow uh, weary while doing good? Because there's a temptation to grow weary while doing good, isn't there? There's a temptation to grow weary while doing good, and there there is so for a number of different reasons. We grow weary because we do not see immediate results. We grow weary because the works of the enemy seem so intense and consuming. We grow weary because of the deceitfulness of sin and weak faith. We don't have the long view in mind. And and that oftentimes leads us into sin, which then makes it very difficult to be strong in the Lord um, in doing good to others. In Hebrews, the author writes, Beware, brethren, lest there be in you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. There is need to encourage one another, to exhort one another daily, to exhort one another daily, to continue in the good works as long as it's called today. Um, He's referring back to Psalm 95 where um, David writes, Looking back on the days in the wilderness where he says today don't harden your hearts as they did in the wilderness And they forgot to, to to listen to god to trust god and go and take the land There were giants in the land How are we ever going to be able to take that land and the deceitfulness of sin and unbelief? Or actually the deceitfulness of unbelief caused them to harden their hearts and not obey god not trust god to grow weary to grow weary in, in, in expectation. And so they instead fell and fell away for an entire generation... Accomplishing nothing but watching an entire generation die off until the next generation was to be raised up by God and go in and take the land. They didn't believe God in the midst of what looked like dire circumstances. They didn't believe God in the midst of what looked like difficult or hard ground to get through and, and, and really obey and, and, and bring forth what for them was the nation going in to take the land. Well, there's a parallel here for us as well. Not to believe God because we think that the enemies are too great, too powerful, it's too dark around here. Do not grow weary in doing good, especially because of the deceitfulness of sin and a weak faith. We grow weary also because we forget that God is truly in control of the narrative of this story and that God is in control of the narrative of your story. We grow weary to continue to do good and obey God and trust him because it hasn't paid off yet. It hasn't paid. I mean, it's been, it's been 15 minutes now. Right? We, we have this vending machine mentality of God where we think that we, are supposed, we can summon him up like a genie in a bottle and, and do a couple of good works and watch. The blessing should just come. And God oftentimes is using difficult times and difficult circumstances to cause us to continue to go after him, to wait, to wait upon him, and to watch and see how he develops us individually, us as a body, the Christian church over centuries growing up becoming more and more reformed, getting back to the scriptures, back to the word, understanding more and more what it means to be the church of Jesus Christ, the militant church in this world, and then bringing blessing as he does in his time for his good purposes. We grow weary of waiting for God to show up, not realizing that he's actually at work in our midst at this very moment. So um, so what's going on here? Paul, Paul is instructing the, the Galatians, don't grow weary because, and so he gives an agricultural metaphor to illustrate. We will not grow weary if we keep our eyes on the harvest to come, on the promise of the harvest to come. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart, if we do not lose heart. Um, this last summer I had my first experience of... Um, uh, putting out a brand new lawn where I had to get the bulldozer out. We had bulldoze all down the, the old area, all kinds of mud. We had to rake it out. We had to flatten it all down. We'd get rocks, bazillions of rocks out and then plant the grass in the midst of a summer that never, ever rained. Ever. I don't think one day it rained on the days that I was waiting for my grass to grow, for the seed to come in. Every day up putting... Up the, and, and trying to water and get this grass to grow. And, and as that took place, it was easy to grow weary. Um, and I, I had never, I'd never watched uh, an entire lawn grow up from nothing. And so, you know, I'm, I'm like the little kindergartner. I want to go out there and dig up the seed and see whether or not anything's happening yet today again and ruin the whole thing. And waiting day after day after day. And it was those who had done it before who said, don't grow weary, keep it up you're going to see a harvest and we did end up with a beautiful lawn but if you can't see the harvest or if you ha- or you don't believe that there's a harvest coming you give up you give up churches give up people give up families give up individuals give up because they don't believe that there's a harvest They don't believe that there is a true reward in in the faithful work that God God has given us to do and that God is going to bring forth as we put our hands to the plow. We will not grow weary if we keep our eyes on the harvest. To change the metaphor, it's like a good halftime charge. Paul challenges us to therefore look for the opportunities now to do good to all, but especially to those who are of the household of faith. So imagine between verse 9 and verse 10, it's halftime. And the coach calls you in, and he says, now don't go weary, but now remember, we, we have opportunity, and as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially, here's what we need to really work on, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now ready, set, go, break. We're not finished. Paul was saying to the church of Galatia, we're not finished, you're not finished, 2021 is over. 2022 is before us. And another year of our Lord. 2022 on Odomini. The year of our Lord. This is God's year. This is God's year to do his work. And so, because of the coming resurrection, just to go to another passage, Paul, in, at the end of chapter 15 of Corinthians, charges us to remain steadfast, immovable, always abounding, he says, in the work of the Lord. Um, uh, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul gives a, a long account of the promise of our resurrection, the resurrection of our bodies, and the final glory of all things after God has finished reigning from uh, Jesus has finished reigning from God's right hand. And he says at the end of that, of that chapter to, to also, he says, to not grow weary, he says to remain steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And the reason he says to do so is because it is impossible, he says, for your labor in the Lord to be in vain. It's impossible. That, that, that takes faith to believe in. That takes faith to stand and, and remain steadfast in. But, but Paul says it's impossible for your work, if it's in the Lord, to be in vain. It may not have the results that you were expecting. It may not have the results in the time that you expected. It, but it will not be in vain. And I guarantee it will not be less than your expectations. The work of the Lord, and the reason is, his argument is because in the resurrection of all things, we are going to see the glory of all things, including all the works that the Lord was doing in us, brought, to, brought into evidence to the glory and praise of his name, his great name. It, you can't, it can't be in vain. So we're not to grow weary in doing good, because our good works now are going to be fruitful then. Our good works now are going to bring forth a harvest then. In God's good time, in God's good purpose, in your family, in the church. This is where it's going to happen. Whoever gives a cup of water in his name, Jesus says, will receive a great reward. Well, if you give a good, if, if, if giving, in a, in giving a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus pr- br- brings forth a reward, how much more all of the other good works that you have opportunity to give? We labor by faith, we even lay down our lives by faith. We are followers of Jesus. And so just as I, am, I can imagine the pastors in Galatia taking verses 9 and 10, and then speaking to their specific congregations about specific applications, so let's take a look at us for specific applications for Trinity Church as we come into 2022. We are in a situation now where we are preparing to stand against a soft tyranny that is all around us. A soft tyranny as opposed to a hard tyranny is the idea that, um, that rather than a tyrannical king who has absolute rule over everyone by some kind of decree is able to, um, through, through even democratic processes, create a bureaucracy and a, and a way of power hold to direct a group of people, a, a city, a, a state, a nation, to follow whatever he has to say, wherever he directs it, um, by means of... Uh, his laws, his decrees, and, and more importantly, a whole bunch of bureaucracy. This was the idea of a soft tyranny was actually built uh, or, or developed around the idea of what a socialistic state would be and how it would be run. Well, in our, in the, just in this last year, in this last year and a half, we as a church said no to the nanny state telling us how to worship. But truly, there are signs that this battle will move into other issues. We're seeing this today uh, just in our neighboring country in Canada, and I will be addressing that along with a number of churches all over the United States on January 16th in the pulpit. Um, Canada is seeing soft tyranny rise to levels that uh, we we need to pray for deliverance uh, and for God's mercy and for his protection that it would not seep into this country as well. In his book, Live Not by Lies, Rod Dreher states that families are resilient cells against such tyranny, and that religion, and by that meaning particularly Christianity, but the whole church community and not just you, your individual faith in Christ, that religion is the bedrock of, of resistance. So, in his book, Live Not by Lies, he's quoting there, uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who, who made the, state, uh, the statement while he was in um, and fighting against tyranny, real tyranny, in the Soviet Union, to, to never compromise by going along with the lies, never say the lies, Live not by lies, he would say. Do not, do not go ahead and say, well, 2 plus 2 equals 5, because that gets me the bread that I need. He says, don't do that. Don't live by lies. And In the book, Dreher lies, uh, lays out a, a number of ways for us to think as a church um, and as, a, as the people of God to, to prepare and stand against a soft tyranny that is coming our way. Families, he says, are resilient cells. And Christianity is the bedrock of the resistance. And that is why tyrants always try to break down the family and make Christianity as weak and irrelevant as possible, if not illegal. Dreher uh, interviewed East European and former Soviet families who, under Marxist communism, resisted totalitarian rule, where he came to understand how these families and churches, even when they had to go underground, were able to remain vibrant communities of faith to encourage one another in the midst of such tyranny. What we don't realize oftentimes is with with soft tyrants, the, the way the message is sent is we're going to take care of you. We're going to take care of you. We're going to take care of you from cradle to grave. We're going to make sure you're safe. All you need to do is follow us and give us all your stuff and give up all your rights. But we're going to take care of you and you're going to be safe. That's the way that kind of tyranny comes at us. And and what 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 happens is it's like we become like frogs in in a in a, in a pot of of water that's just slowly boiling hotter and hotter we don't realize it I think some of the things that happened with the with the mandates that have come down over the last couple of years is we realized we've been giving in to the to the government and allowing and allowing the government to make uh, decrees. And just going along with it because it was safe and, or made sense and, and not thinking about whether or not there actually were rights given to particular authorities to make such decisions. And now we find ourselves living that out. Well, the, the, So the, the promise was, we'll take care of you families. We'll direct you. Um, and, and then also, um, making, making Christianity... I mean, what does what our, our, our culture become... When it comes to defining religion or Christianity, if you think about it, as a, as a cultural thing, it's at best some kind of vanilla icing that you put on top of the, the cake of the real stuff of what makes our culture, right? So our culture is these uh, social norms that we believe to be true, and everybody has to follow them. And if you want a little of that religion, Christianity thing, um, you can put a little bit of that on top. But it's not really—it's uh, it, not allowed to permeate, affect, rule, govern the way our culture, our societal norms are really um, are, are really made, developed, and kept and protected. It, it, that's, that, that Christianity thing is supposed to be in your heart, in your soul, all by your lonesome self, um, or with a few others if you'd like. So isolation, um, of, uh, se- separation of family structures that are necessary in order to to uh, thrive, instead the state takes care of it, and this um, overarching demand that Christianity or your religion be just a personal private matter for yourself and has nothing to do with the rest of of the world. That's, that's what's happened. That's what we see around us. Now, in standing against those kinds of things, here's what Dreher um, uh, tells us to do. This is the way we are to think about not growing weary in doing good works, particularly to the household of the faith, with regard um, to caring for one another. So, first, family. First of all, um, do not grow weary in strengthening your family. Do not grow weary in strengthening your family. Faithful marriages the blessing of children, vows lived out and promises stood upon, these are necessary tools to stay strong in the Lord and against the lies of our secular leadership. Um, And, and, it's not just attacks and temptations from out there. Within your own family structure, it's a lot of hard work to keep vows, to raise children, to keep sin out of the house, or to send it out of the house when it comes, to, to learn what it means to live in, uh, at peace with one another in fellowship, and to believe the promises of God as you raise your children generations and generations to come. But that's the work that we're called to do, and that and, and um, we 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 always knew we always knew that secularism was not neutral. It's just becoming more and more obvious to us. The attack upon the family is is huge. Dreher writes these words. He says, "In the coming soft totalitarianism, Christians will have to regard family life in a much more focused way. The traditional Christian family is not merely a good idea." It is also a survival strategy for the faith in a time of persecution. Christians should stop taking family life for granted, instead approaching it in a more thoughtful, disciplined way. Now, I want to make a note first just to encourage um, Trinity Church, to encourage our people. I think that we stand out as a group of Christians who do just that already. That we take family seriously. That we take the headship of the husband and father seriously. That we take the relationship of husband and wife seriously. The vows of marriage seriously. The raising up of children, faithful children seriously. The education of them, uh, giving them a Christian education seriously. We do that and we've we've done that well. And you have done that well. Amen and more and more of it. More and more of it, because that is going to be part of the resilience that's going to stand against all of the lies that are going to be coming down um, uh, down the pike here at us, at families and at your children particularly. Children, your Christian education, if I might just say so, your Christian education and upbringing has been given to you at great cost and sacrifice by your parents. Huge sacrifice of your parents, of their time, and of their money, of their willingness to risk, to, to walk away from what, what, what was told to us was free education, free and neutral education. Yeah, right. Instead, your parents have given you so much at a very, very great cost. In doing so, many of us were doing it, figuring it out as we went along, Figuring, figuring out as best we could as as we went along, and we didn't. Um, we, we were far from perfect. Well, I want to tell you, kids, two things. Kids who have grown up with a Christian education, two things. Number one, do not grow weary in applying and living out all that you've been given, and you have a lot to live out and apply. Do not grow weary in figuring out of the things that you learned how to live them out and apply them in your life, in your generation. And secondly, do not grumble over our imperfect provisions for you. Instead, truly, stand on our shoulders and take it all to the next level. As the title of one excellent book puts it, we are rebuilding the ruins. This is an ongoing work of rebuilding what it means to have a fully Christian uh, education. There's lots of work to be done. It has been an enormous blessing to see what we've been able to do as uh, families, whether it's homeschools, whether it is Christian schools, whether the co-ops that exist today, all the, all the curriculum that is available that was not available at all a generation ago, God has been incredibly kind. Let's build on it. Let's do that more and more because that is going to be part of what strengthens families to be able to, to give to our children, to the next generation, the ability to look out in the world with, with a Christian worldview and be able to say that is right and that is wrong and here is why. That is that is evil and that is good and here is why. That is that is beautiful. That is that is what should be done with that part of the world and that is not what should be done with the part of of the world and this is why. They're going to be able to do that and they're going to be able to do that better than we were. That's what God is promising as he as he um, makes his bride more and more beautiful as he brings us up into greater and greater sanctification. This is the work of families, of building generation after generation of faithful worshipers of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's hard work. It costs a lot. And there's great, great harvest that we've already seen and much, much more to come. Much, much more to come. Families are the resilient cells against tyranny. And then Christianity or the church community itself is this bedrock of any kind of resistance that we're going to be able to have. One of the first gifts and distinctives of Trinity Church was its commitment to family structure and Christian education. When these first seven families in 1993 bonded together to decide to do a church, one of the things that they had in common was, we want to to really emphasize a family structure, what it means to be husband and wife, and Christian education. And, and, the, and the emphasis there was, was to do so, these families all about the same age, all about the same, with the same uh, number of kids, and, or, or kids about the same age, are getting started figuring this out. It was important, and important was work. In our zeal to do so, and even over the years in our zeal to do so, we may have neglected as a church the development of the church community and loyalty to the local church through Generations. As we have matured, I think God has moved and is moving us to also realize the importance of building up the community of the church itself um, so, that, so that we're not a, um, a, a one-generation pony. <laughs> we're, we're not a one-trick pony. We we want to we want to we want to have all of the distinctives that God wants for a church to have, and part of that is to build up a church community that goes far beyond just thinking about the education of children or or getting those children involved within um, communities of other kids getting educated. <laughs> and and I can say this now as a dad whose kids have grown up. Um, and, and and when I, as I say this, I am not saying that the, the work the the, um, uh, the the great work that needs to be done with regard to educating our kids is is not overwhelming at times in families that you have to give yourself to it, and there isn't much time for much for much else. But one of the things I think that needs to happen with re, with regard in, in the midst of that education is giving our kids, giving the next generation a vision for the church community as well. A vision for what it means to grow up and be a part of a church that is not just about them and their little age group, but it is about over multi-generations with a purpose of remaining for generations to have an effect upon a local community for generations. I think one of the things that's becoming obvious, here's something that's, that's obvious, is God is not dropping immediately this in, a, incredible revival, and everybody's just going to come to Christ all throughout the greater Woodinville or Western Washington area, and we're going to be done. I think we're in this for the long haul, guys. I think we're going to have to figure out how we learn how to put our hand to the plow and think for the long term about how we stand against resistance and create something. That is beautiful and powerful. That communicates the love and the mercy of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world around us, and this is the world around us. Thinking both locally and 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 globally as well, but locally, what does it mean to be a church community that exists for generations and generations and generations? Can that? faithful church have an effect upon a community in all kinds of ways to the glory of God? Well, Paul says, let us do good to all, especially to those of the household of faith. And when he says that, he certainly has um, not just individual Christians in mind, but the local congregation. How do we build up and exhort and encourage the local congregation of believers? How do we build community over generations and such diverse um, interests and and geographic spread that we have? I think we have the work cut out for us. But the time is ripe for us to build up the church in this way, especially with so many new believers and new families in our midst. Uh, Again, Dreher, Rodre writes this. He says, A time of painful testing, even persecution, is coming. Lukewarm or shallow Christians will not come through with their faith intact. Christians today must dig deep into the Bible and teach themselves how and why today's post-Christian world, with its self-centeredness, its quest for happiness, and rejection of sacred order and transcendent values, is a rival religion to authentic Christianity. If you are not rock solid in your commitment to Christ and his church, then the world will break you. But if you are, then this is the solid rock upon which the world will be broken. And if those solid rocks are joined together, they form a wall of solidarity that is very hard for the enemy to breach. We have a great opportunity to serve one another and to begin to build community uh, to, to an even greater extent here within the church. And this is one of the reasons I want you to watch for this spring when we introduce the Trinity groups as just one way of, of, of trying to encourage this. Are you getting to know and are you able to serve others here in this body? Are you making it a point to know people in this body you haven't known before? To introduce yourself, to get to know, and to figure out how to serve one another in in better ways. Here's some things that I think also are important with regard to our particular church in our particular day. In terms of church life, it can feel so much like we are in exile or at least in transition. That we are a part of that that we're not really in a place to, um, to make a statement for Jesus Christ in the greater culture. We're just in exile, waiting for, for God to do something. We have this very temporary-looking facility. We, we don't know how long um, that we can be here. We have the opportunity to purchase some property. It might happen. It, in fact, it's looking really, really promising. But there's a, not a building on it yet. <laughs> we, have, we have more work to do, more directions to go. We've had the exodus of many families, good families, out of the area. And a lack of much of what we had musically for quite some time. I want to address these things. I want to talk about how we should be shepherding um, through these particular times. First of all, with regard to music. God has called his people to be singers, musicians, people full of song. We're, we're told to, to not be drunk with wine, but to be filled with the Spirit. And that overflow of the Spirit is to be singing of psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, giving thanks in our hearts to God for the grace that is in us. It is to be expressed musically. And it is not to be expressed musically by, by just a band of specialists. It is something that the congregation is to, is to give themselves to, that the people of God are to give themselves to singing. And we've had a good start in it, good start in it for a good 20 plus years. Pray and labor with us to preserve what Trinity Church has been given and to recover what we have lost. We pray for the ability to teach everyone here to sing well, to establish choirs, more church musicians, and to be led in this by a well-trained, like-minded chief musician. We're asking God to bring a a musician to help us to get those things established and take them to the next step in in the year ahead. Next thing. Should you move out of Washington State? How many times have you been asked that? I've been asked that a few times this year. I've been asked that a few times. Are you planning to leave Washington State? There is, there is a not-so-quiet, ongoing mantra by many that this area should be abandoned, that it has been lost to the statists, that the cost of living is too high, that the ability to have Christian neighbors and friends is too low, and that the persecution is growing. Is it time to get out of Washington? Or would it, be better, would it be better to see this area as prime missionary work that we've been placed in? A work to be accomplished by small colonies of faithful families bound together by one faith. The U.S. Center of World Missions used to help identify what they called the unre- most unreached people's groups. Pe- pe- people where there was a least per capita Christians. <laughs> Welcome. Welcome to Washington State. Welcome to the Seattle area. This is an unreached people group now. I mean, this, is, this, is, this is the kind of place that the rest of the world, the rest of the nation, talks about in terms of how few people in our area attend church. How few people are actually committed Christians and part of an ongoing Christian community. Like, we stand out. That makes you missionaries here. That makes us in a place of great opportunity. To be the kind of place that by faith we serve the world by example first. We show them what it means to love one another. We show them what it means to walk in forgiveness and not shame. We show them what it, what, what glad obedience before the Lord looks like, feels like. We show them what family structures that are blessed by God look like and operate. We show them what it means to, to, to pour, our, pour our lives out, to worship faithfully and, and full of glad hearts. We show them these things and... We then invite them, the unbelieving world, charge them to bow the knee with us at the name of Jesus. Now to do so, to stay here, it might cost more. It might require some sacrifice. It might entail imaginative solutions to make it possible to stay and to thrive. Well, welcome to the world. Welcome to the hard world. Were we not told to go and disciple the nations? Or were we told to go and build a nice, comfortable life for ourselves? We're told to go and disciple the nations. And here we are. It's almost as though we've been sent. I wonder if it's a God thing. Maybe he would have us here to do much work. So we also have property and the possibility of a building. Much of what needs to be done has to be done with a long term in mind. And so we seek to build a beachhead and a place of refuge, a building that speaks, stones that cry out, God is with us, God is good, God is merciful, and God calls you to come. There's ways architecturally, there's ways just thinking three-dimensionally, there's ways of just thinking tactily, incarnationally, about having a church building that is situated in a place where people see it, that actually is a part of speaking the gospel to a community especially if there's a faithful community that is acting, that is using it um, for the sake of the gospel. So we seek to build an altar, a memorial to the faithfulness of Christ, who ministers his gospel to the city of Woodenville and beyond through his spirit-filled church. God grant us the faith that we may not grow weary in doing good in this way as well. In the meantime, it's not just about churches, it's about families as, as places of outreach. And I think this needs to be hammered home more and more and more, especially in a time when we have been so isolated from one another and from our communities. It is time to be a people of great hospitality, of generous hospitality with your homes. Totalitarian state-worshipping idealists are seeking to isolate and atomize the population so that the need for the state from cradle to grave becomes more seductive. And we begin to think more necessary. The church must see that her families have a great weapon. Do you hear me? Not just a tool, a great weapon against such mind-numbing laws. And it is around tables of food and fellowship. In your homes, grace has a smell, a taste, a sound. Give it. Give it more and more. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling, Peter wrote. Peter wrote to church members that had been dispersed because of a persecution, that were living in cities that they had to have run to, that probably were not living in the most stable of situations themselves. And Peter says to them, be hospitable to one another. Without grumbling. Now, why would you have to say without grumbling? I always want to ask those kind of questions. (laughs) Because it's tempting to grumble when you have to do the work of, 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 of providing hospitality. It's hard work. Why do we need to provide hospitality? Because those tables of fellowship and food in your home, and I will add, in your imperfect home, are places where God grants the grace of fellowship and friendship, of encouragement that you can't control. He just gives it. He just does it by you having someone sit down and have a sandwich at your table with you. He does that over and over and over again. This, this could be called the subversive work of hospitality. Again, in Rod Dreher's book, he talks about how how they would these these families in the midst of the resistance, in the midst midst of uh, of all the persecution, they would open up their homes before and after families that are individuals that might be, be go, having to go in for interrogation, and they would encourage them and and feed them and, and just give them a place to rest. It wasn't like they had some incredible plan or ministry that was ongoing. It was just a bowl of soup. And maybe a fire to warm yourself by. It was, it was just a friend or somebody who might become your friend. We, had an awful, we have some things in common here. We're, we're standing against some things in common here. We're trying to build some things in common here. We're not, we don't really know each other, but would you like a sandwich? Let's sit and talk and, and learn about one another. Figure out how we can pray for one another. That's hospitality. That's real, real hospitality. Your homes... Your homes are minas, they're talents that God has given to you. Do you understand that? Turn a profit on them. Turn a profit on them because you're going to be asked for the profit that you've shown from the minor, from the talent that you've been given. Hospitality as a weapon. And finally, in just thinking about all of this, I want you to know that Seattle and the greater Seattle area will be a Christian city. It will. There are and will be ongoing skirmishes between the church and her enemies, and skirmishes within the church rooting out false teachers. This has always been the way of the Lord disciplining and maturing the church. But we labor not in vain. We labor not in vain. Paul said that at the end of 1 Corinthians 15, and he said that as a conclusion to the argument of the promised defeat of those enemies as Jesus sits on his throne. 1 Corinthians 15, where he says the Lord is going to tarry, Jesus is not going to return until he has made all of his enemies a footstool for his feet, from Psalm 110. He said, and then he will come, and he will take care of the final enemy, which is death. But until that time, all of the nations of the world are coming to Christ. And you don't labor in vain. You don't labor in vain. First Corinthians 15:25, "For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet, the last enemy that will be destroyed is death." And so um, the earth will be as full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And that means that Seattle and the East Side and the state of Washington or whatever the governing authorities remain along with its people on this land, they will be as full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Seattle will be a Christian city. The motivation is your love for God to not labor in vain. The motivation is to... Uh, To love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and believe him. But not not as a lone lover of God, but rather as the bride of Christ, a congregation, a community of people knit together that encourages, stimulates that love, causes that love to grow and be more powerful, pulls back in others when we're straying, as we all stray in so many different ways. Courages one another as long as it is today. Your communion with Christ is a communion with his body. It is not simply your own individual communion. And so whatever twists and turns 2022 and beyond bring, God promises that our work in the Lord will never, never be in vain. I think we see that. We see a little taste of that harvest from the good work that was done in this last year of holding steady, of giving ourselves away, opening up our doors to one another. God has blessed in many, many ways. Well, Trinity Church has a mission and a ministry right here and right now. And we are not to grow weary in doing good. That is what God has called us to. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.